you've got a Bible, if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be finishing up uh, our three-week series uh, in Ephesians, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 7 uh, through 16 uh, together this morning. 7 through 16. Before we get there, um, last week, just to kind of uh, refresh your memory a little bit, uh, we, we looked at verses 4 through 6. Uh, Pastor Ed uh, walked us through uh, this amazing statement of faith uh, that uh, Paul gives us, talking about uh, what it is that unites us, our, our, our belief, our, our theology of who we know uh, God to be and what he has said about the, who he is, but also who we are in him. And in that we talked about how it is that we're all the same, that we're all the same because God says we're the same. And I have been so excited uh, to uh, share with you guys this morning because I get to do something I have longed to do, uh, well, really, since I got here, and that is I get to stand up here and tell you guys Ed was wrong about everything. It was all completely wrong. Um, uh, I, I actually... I wrote that in my notes uh, this week, and I just sat back for a second because it felt so good, and it felt so right. Just Ed was wrong. And I, I sat there, and I kind of basked in a little bit, and I, I went and took a walk around and prayed, and God was like, yeah, you're right, he was wrong. And I came back to it, and I just sat there. I was like, you know what, I could, I could just like say that. I could talk for like five minutes about how Ed was wrong, and I think we could be done. And uh, people would be walking up to me afterwards and be like, man, the Holy Spirit was speaking through you this morning. That was one of the best sermons uh, we've heard in a while. Uh, but in talking about how we're all the same, one thing that Ed said that just like, it, it kind of triggered me was he's, he said, you know, this is basically what Paul is saying here uh, amounts to the, the phrase that we all heard when we were growing up from our parents, the, you know, because I said so. Well, why is it that way? It doesn't seem to be that way in your parents. You know, because I said so. That when God says, this is who I am, and, and we say that we believe this, we, that this is truth because it's our theology, that is our best because God said so moment. I, I didn't like this uh, when I was a kid, when my parents would say, because I said so. Because I would think, well, I'm pretty smart, so just tell me. Tell me what the reason is. And as I got older and, and more aware of what was going on, I realized that when my parents said, because I said so, it was also because they didn't have a good reason for why they were saying that. They were just saying, well, it's because I said so. And it always seemed like when that was the case that it was going against the way the world actually worked, the way I saw everything, the way things are actually set up. And it's just for some weird reason, my parents decided they didn't want to go with the flow, they didn't want to go with logic, and so they busted out because I said so. Paul, in verses 4 through 6, is giving his best because God said so talk. We are the same because God said so. And it feels like I'm an eight-year-old again questioning everything because I'm sitting there and I'm like, but that doesn't seem to be the way it is. It's not the way I see it. Or if we're honest, it's not the way any of us see it. I mean, we walk out and we're like, that's good, that's nice, what a great thought. We're the same because God said so, but I can see a lot of differences. I mean, I don't think we all have to look very far to look just even around us. And say, yeah, but there's a lot of things that are different about us. There's a lot of things that separate us. And if we're truthful, it wouldn't be very hard for us to point around the room and just say, there's even people that we don't really want to associate with or think we're the same as, right? 
That's maybe why some of you are sitting over there and some of you are sitting over here. Uh, one time in a, in a church I was pastoring, we were trying to uh, you know, just kind of have fun and everything. And being new to Oregon, I was like, you know what, let's, uh, let's do a, uh, an Oregon, Oregon Ducks Sunday. It was, it was uh, the week of that game. And so we had everybody wear their favorite team stuff. And uh, in the midst of the sermon, or part of that Sunday, we said, hey, depending on which side you're representing, uh, go to one side of the sanctuary. And we literally separated families. And uh, it was the most amazing thing because it was like, now you can all see how you feel every Sunday. It's you know, who you really associate with and like. This idea that we're all the same because God said so begs the question, if we're the same, then why are we so different? Why is it so easy for us to spot the differences between one another? Why do we know, like, where people stand on certain issues? Like, we inherently know. We, like, walk away from a conversation where politics doesn't even come up, and we can, we're like, I think that person's a Republican, or I think that person's a Democrat. Why are these the things that are always at the front of our mind? Why are we so good at reading between the lines and figuring out where people stand on certain issues? If we're the same, shouldn't that be the thing we walk away from conversations with that we're glad and thankful about? If we're the same, shouldn't that be the thing we're always trying to read between the lines? Where's our points of commonality, not where's our major points of difference? This idea of being united and having things in common isn't how the world works, and I think we all know that. You can only take this unity thing so far until you're just flat out living in a fairy tale, right? Yeah, sure, it's a nice thought. We wish it was that way. It would be nice if that way. It will be nice when it's that way in heaven. But if you're really going to take this all the way home, I mean, you're just going to have to like, suspend a lot of like, just disbelief. And you're going to have to kind of live in a world that doesn't really, truly, frankly exist. You're going to have to have rose-colored glasses that also block out 98% of everything you're taking in. Because it's not based on unity. It's not based on a commonality. But almost as if Paul knows this, knows that we would be struggling with this, knows that we would be saying... Yeah, but it doesn't seem like this is the way the world works. It doesn't even seem like the way the church works. It doesn't even seem like as we look around that we're all the same. It very, very much feels as though we're different. That what he's describing and what we see are two very different things. He starts off verse 7 with a really important word. He says, but. So we're all the same, Paul says, but. There in verse 7, he says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul is acknowledging the very thing that you and I see each and every day. Yes, our belief is the same, but man, we are all so different. He says, live in the real world. There definitely are differences among us. And let me tell you how that is even an essential part of unity as well as what Paul is saying. He tells us that the differences you and I see, the differences that we feel in the church, in health, 
in healthy places, healthy systems, healthy relationships, this is all by God's design as well. See, in Paul's writings, there's often a, um, there's often a just wait for it kind of aspect to what he's saying. He's saying this is the way it should be. This is the way it's supposed to be. And God has ushered in that, but it's not already here. And so, yeah, like this is the thing we're supposed to be living out, we're supposed to be striving for, but we're not going to realize the full potential of it until Christ comes back. And so it's already not yet. Just hang on for it. It's coming. You can catch glimpses of it. Don't give up hope. That sort of thing Paul's saying. But here, Paul says it's already happened. And us being different, us being diverse, there being variety in the body of Christ is the way it's supposed to be. Paul isn't saying, hey, God has given us unity and we've kind of begun to get a taste for it, but he's going to give us like greater unity just a little bit down the road. No, Paul says that actually he's given us unity and the fact that we're all different is proof of that and helps that and aids it. Klein Snodgrass says, unity is maintained by diversity and variety. That true unity is not possible without major differences. It's a paradox that as crazy as it sounds, We can't have this thing that we long for, this thing that Jesus has given us, this thing that we desire so greatly without the very thing that makes it so difficult to have in the first place. We often mistake conformity for unity. But the truth is that everyone agreeing, thinking, acting, and being the same isn't unity at all. It's just being the same. It's, it's, it's just being a cookie-cutter addition of something else that's not truly you. I think it's one of the greatest fears that people have as they, as they come to Jesus, as they give their life, as they die to themselves, and say, well, what's going to become of me? Am I still going to be myself? Am I, am, I, am I going to have to lose everything that makes me me? And actually, what Paul says, what Scripture says, what, what Christ promises is, no, actually, you become more of who you are. You actually maintain your individuality. You don't just become another number in the crowd. Actually, you get removed from that system, and you actually become someone with a purpose, someone with promise, someone that everything that you are and what you're about and what you're meant for is moving in the same direction, is all united for the same thing. So when Paul says, be unified in the church, And that God's hope is that we would be unified. He's also saying that God's hope is that we would be different. Because you can only have true unity with real diversity. That we be different, that we have a variety, not only in who we are or where we come from, but also in the gifting that we have for what Christ has called us to do. He says that Christ has given us gifts according to his grace. He goes on uh, there, uh, if we go back just really quickly, uh, there in verses um, 8 through 11, and he's describing, uh, he actually co-ops Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, uh, what the psalmist is describing 
is that God is like a victorious king. And kings, when they were victorious, uh, they, would, they would receive the spoils of war. And so there in Psalm 68, uh, the author is saying that God is like a king that has won a victory and has received the spoils of war. And then Paul takes that a step further and says that Jesus being the one who is victorious, the one who has descended and then ascended, because he has beat sin, he has beat death, he has beat Satan, not only receives those gifts from the victory is won. He chooses then to give those gifts according to his grace. And what Paul says is the, the crazy thing about it is, the thing that maybe we can't understand, is it doesn't seem like Jesus gives those things out equally, at least from our perspective, right? Because we can all look at people and we're like, ah, oh, man, they're way more gifted than I am. Paul goes on here in a little bit in Ephesians to describe, we're going to read it in a second, the gifts that he gives out. He says it's his to give. And, and the way he chooses to do it is on him. And, and he is actually intentionally, it's not like Jesus like started dishing these out. It's like, oh man, I, like, I, I should have like used a measuring cup as I was beginning to give these things out. Because like it doesn't seem like I'm kind of getting the right proportions here every time it goes along. No, he's actually chose, chosen to give them out differently. He's chosen to give you different gifts than other people and different amounts of those gifts than other people. And he's done it for, for a very specific pers- purpose. And so if he has done that with something as important, as important as the gifts for us to live out the purpose and the mission that Christ has called us to, imagine what he does with all of the other things in our life. If he says it's okay for you and, uh, you and me to be different in the way we are gifted in the church for serving Christ, imagine how okay he is with us having different perspectives on, I don't know, politics. And we'll just leave it at that because, I mean, what else is there in the world today, right? And this is hard to hear because the disappointing thing for most of us is that in hearing this, what it means is that for the people around you, that them becoming more Christ-like doesn't mean they become more you-like. I think when we find major differences with people in the church, one of the greatest temptations for us to think and to begin to pray is that they will find more of Jesus because when they find more of Jesus, they'll be more like us. Paul says that won't happen because you're not called to be the same. You're called to be different. And unity needs diversity to be true unity. Jesus wants it this way. He doesn't just want it this way because he loves diversity. This isn't some thing where Jesus was looking around. It's like, man, things seem a little too, you know, too plain. Let's spice it up. Let's add in some conflict, you know, drama, you know. Let's make it a reality show kind of deal. Like, that wasn't his intention. That actually, this is all by design because, you see, the thing is, is that the diversity that we need in our lives, the diversity that 
Christ has poured into his church, both by giftings and just by the way we are because we are different people, actually does something for you and me that if we didn't have it, we would be lost. That the diversity that Christ has died for and has given us according to his grace, according to his gifts, pushes us in a couple directions that we don't want to go. The first is that it pushes us to get over focusing on what we don't have. Diversity, differences with other members of the body of Jesus Christ force you to get over focusing all the time on what you don't have. Look there with me in verses 11 through 12. It says, and he gave, talking about Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He gave these giftings. It seems like most commentators are in agreement that this isn't about specific positions, that these are actually giftings that Paul is referring to and talking about. As you get in the Greek, it spells that out, and that's a whole bunch of you know, stuff that will put you all to sleep. Uh, and so... That's just what they believe, that, that the, these are giftings that he's pointing to. For what purpose? To equip the saints, to equip you and me, to equip all of us for the work of ministry. We have a purpose. We, we, we have something we're going towards, something to do. We have a job that needs to be done. One universal human condition I think we all share, because we share a few, is that we have an innate ability to see what we don't have and what other people do, right? Like, if there's anything we're good at, it isn't seeing what we've got going on and what we have to bring to the table. It's to see all the things we don't have and to see all the stuff everybody else does. We see their abilities and what it provides them, the notoriety, what we wish we could be, how we wish we saw ourselves, and we wish we had the same thing. We think if I was like them, if I could do that thing, if I had it to that degree and that ability, I'd feel better about myself. I'd be of more value to the team. I'd have a better job. Like one of the hardest things to do as a pastor is listen to other pastors preach because they're all better than you. Except your lead pastor. He's not better than you. But uh, the rest of them, they're all better than you. We have this amazing ability to undersell, undervalue what it is that God has given us and to see everything else, everyone else, and think, I wish I was that way. And the thing, too, is, is we have an incredible ability to forget that they're maybe not so great in other areas. So the person that's amazing at hospitality, man, we wish we could be that good at hospitality. And we wish we could be that good at teaching as the person that teaches well and we really admire. And we wish we could have all of that all at the same time. And when we do that, when, when, when we fixate on these things that other people have and we don't, we begin to make excuses. We get hung up. There's nothing else we can see. There's, there's nothing else that, that, that we can do until we're that good. I, when someone comes along and they say, would you be willing to step in and, and serve in this way, do this thing, lead this person? Oh, no, I could never do that. Why? Because I've seen somebody else do it that I think does so much better than I do. I 
And when it's really bad, we don't just stay stuck. We actually try to tear down the person that we're jealous of. Because we don't understand how God has built in to the system diversity because we need to get over focusing on what we don't have. We believe we need this thing, this skill to be what we're made to be. In reality, the only thing we need is what Paul talked about in the three verses before. We need Jesus. God says, stop focusing on what you don't have and focus on what you do. And what you do have is me. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God overall in all. Because what we're called to be and do is not better. It's the work of ministry for which he has gifted each of us to do. Um, standing outside greeting people uh, as people came in, every, everybody asked me how I'm doing. And the answer is always the same. I'm tired. And the reason I'm tired, somebody said it's so great today. Well, you have an excuse. You have three young children. And so I was like, yes, that, that is true. Uh, if you want to babysit, it would be fantastic. And so one of the greatest frustrations, um, it is the greatest frustration of, of raising three small kids um, that don't know how to use their words, is the screaming and yelling and fighting over the most ridiculous toy, cheapest toy ever made to mankind. That like one little kid, like our son had to go to the doctor this week and he comes back with this like cheap little dinosaur thing. And you're like, man, we have bought you so many more expensive toys than this in your life. Like we bought you a more expensive toy like two days ago. And he comes home and this thing is like the prize of his life. Like, like you can throw everything else out. And he's like, as long as I have that dinosaur, I'm good. And he comes home with that thing and all the kids flock to it. It's just like, I can't believe you got that. Why did you get that? Why can't I get sick so I can go get that? Like all this different stuff. And before you know it, they're fighting over this thing. And you walk in and you're like, what are you fighting over? And they're like, well, Wesley has a dinosaur and I want a dinosaur. And he won't let me see it. And you're like, you have all of this junk everywhere. Like what in the world are you guys fighting about? This is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Stop focusing on what you don't have. And focus on all the things you do. And what's more, forget the toys. You have a mom and dad who love you most of the time. And so, like, focus on that, guys. It's a good life you've got going on. Like, actually enjoy it, love it. Like, know the blessings that you have. There are other kids that would kill for your life. They'd kill to have me and your mama's parents. It's almost as if God knows the thing we all struggle with at our heart. That the reason why the Garden of Eden is a thing and why sin was allowed to enter in is because we all want, at the deepest, darkest core, we want it all for ourselves. We want to be independent, we want to be in control. 
We don't want to need anyone else. We want it all. And so when Adam and Eve were presented with the possibility to not need God in the way God had designed them to, and that they could even have the knowledge of good and evil, rather than being able to focus on what they did have, all they could focus on was what they didn't have. And so the genius of God and what God has done and the way he's set up the church and the way he's designed unity and the way that diversity is in the DNA structure of unity itself is that he said, I know what you all want to do. You want to be able to carry out the mission. You're okay with carrying out the mission. You're okay with being told you have a job to do. We just say, okay, well, give us all the tools we need to do. He goes, no, 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 no. Because what you want is you want control. You want to go off on your own. You want to do it yourself. You want to be able to come back and say, look at what all I've done. And he says, that's what's gotten you into trouble to begin with. And so you're going to need each other. And you're not even going to need people, other people. You're going to need other people that are very different than you. They're gifted differently. They see things differently. They think differently. They feel differently. They look differently. They dress differently. They behave differently. Why? Because you aren't everything that you need or the mission needs. But that's okay because you have the one thing you need in common. I think the reason Paul listed all of those things and said, you have one faith, one Lord, one baptism. He gave us seven things, and he said, these things are essential, so stop making everything else a big deal. Stop focusing on those things. Stop saying, the, stop saying that that's why we should separate. That's why you're different. Everything else you can have a difference of opinion on, these seven things have to be united. And so you can stop feeling sorry for yourself, Paul says. Stop looking around and seeing how you don't have what you think you need or how people are better than you. Stop looking at doing all the things we normally do because you are a part, one part of many that makes a whole so you can do what you're designed to do. So often in our life we say, I can't do everything God's called me to do because I'm not as good as them at that. And Paul says you have everything you need in this room, in this body, with these people. So stop focusing on what you don't have and start focusing on what you do. And if we didn't have diversity, we wouldn't be able to get over that thing that screwed us up and tripped us up back in the garden. And so that's why Jesus has made diversity a vital aspect of unity. But the other thing that diversity does for us, the other thing that it forces us to do, that it pushes us to do, is the complete opposite. And that is, it pushes us to get over focusing on what we, you do have. If we, re, if we keep reading on in Ephesians 4, there in verse 13, it says, until we all attain. So keep pushing into this. Keep, keep doing this. He, he says that Christ has given us these giftings so that we will keep growing until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And he goes on telling us that when the whole body is working together, it does this so it builds the church, the body of Christ, up in love. He says the goal is that God wants to grow you up. The goal is maturity. I think oftentimes when we think about maturity, we talk about maturity, when we imagine it, visualize it, aspire to it, it seems to us like maturity kind of relates to a sort of wisdom. Years of service. Knowledge. And so as he talks about this and he says, you know, he, God wants to grow you up in maturity, we kind of keep reading. We're like, well, yeah, that sounds exactly like what I would imagine it looks like. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And it's like, that sounds like knowledge to me. That sounds like wisdom. But when you look up this word in the Greek for maturity, the very first definition is the most uncomfortable one. It's perfection. Nobody likes that word, so we won't use it. One definition I really did like was that what maturity really truly means is for something to be filled to its potential. So Paul says what God wants to do in growing you up is that you won't be tossed to and fro, you won't be like children, but what you will be, what does he say there in verse 15? Rather. You will be people that speak the truth in love. Knowing how to love is what maturity looks like in the body of Christ. See, I've, man, I, I read that this week and that hit like a ton of bricks because I think there is not a better way to describe the world we live in now than the fact that we don't like to speak to each other. We like to speak at each other. We are so good at sizing one another up and seeing each other for the way you truly are and knowing what box, predefined box and category you fit into. And in knowing that and understanding that, we often see it as our greatest goal in life, our mission, is to convince you that you are how I see you. And so that doesn't take a relationship. That doesn't take a conversation. That just takes me speaking at you and through you rather than with you and to you. We walk around so often with a sense of, I know what I have. I have the truth. Why? Because they're my opinions, and my opinions are right. And you need the truth that I have in any way that I can get it to you. doesn't matter how it's said, why it's said, what way it's communicated, whether or not there's even the possibility for me to hear back from you, why it is you feel that way, how you've come to that conclusion, to enter into a dialogue with you. No, the only thing that you need is to accept that you are the way I see you. The greatest thing that you could have happen in your life is for you to accept that I have labeled you as a progressive, a conservative, a liberal, a fundamentalist, 
whatever it might be, a terrible person, a great person, whatever it might be, and for you to say, you know what, I think you're right. And then if we get that, we can maybe then have a relationship. But this isn't what maturity in the body of Christ looks like because this isn't how love operates. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, Paul says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I think if you look at this, just this idea, and you say, that's a person. A person filled with love is someone who bears all things who believes and hopes all things, who endures all things, who is there with you, who wants to hear from you, who wants to be in relationship with you. If that's what love looks like, and on the other side you have someone, if this is what a person filled with love looks like, and if on the other side you have a person filled with truth, they don't care what you think, how you feel, anything like that, they're just shoving truth down your throat 24-7 because that's what you need. If those are the two images of people we have, I think we would all choose this one over that one, right? Why? Because 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that's Jesus. What God wants to do in us, he wants to fill us with the, to the potential that we have to love. See, we have this amazing potential. We think we can only choose one or the other. We have this amazing potential for both truth and love in our life. And God wants to fill us with both of them, but he wants it to be based out of love. Why? So the thing that needs to be said, the thing that needs to be heard, will be because it's coming from a place of true care. And that cannot happen apart from diversity. God wants you and I to be different and to understand that we are different. And to stop focusing on the truth that we think we have and start focusing on the fact that they have different perspectives. They have different feelings. They have different ways of seeing it. And they even have different giftings that you might need to help you live out what Christ has called you to do. And if you will not take the time to speak the truth that you know in love so that you will hear back from the other person, you're going to miss out on something that you need. You are going to miss out on your potential to grow in love in the way that God wants to grow you. God has made this the most diverse gathering in the world because without that, you and I would be stuck in our ability to grow into being able to love other people the way Jesus does. And when we retreat into our circles where everyone is the same as us, the person that hurts the most from that, apart from the body of Christ, is ourselves. Because what we're saying is, I don't want to be able to love to the full potential that God has created me to love. Another phrase that drove me crazy as I was growing up, there were a lot of them because my parents were terrible parents, um, was, uh, was the phrase, get over it. Get over it. Like, there was not 
like, and it usually came about, like, when I was the most incensed about something. Like, I was, I was certain I've been wrong. Like, this isn't fair. This isn't right. People need to hear. Like, justice. I need justice. Justice must be served. Like, that was like, I mean, man, you want to talk about somebody that was, like, big on justice and fairness and, like, things being equal and stuff? That was me. And oftentimes when I was, like, at my, like, highest zenith point of pontification, like, my, my dad would just be like, get over it, man. Nothing would make me, because like, where do you go from that? Like, where do you go from somebody just saying, get over it? When when my dad would say that, I would just think, man, you are the most heartless, uncaring parents like that have ever been on this face of the earth. But what they were saying is, this is the way life is. Like, get over it, man. Life's not fair. Life's not equal. It's not, you're not always going to get the justice you think you deserve. But also, what's more is what they were doing, and it was like this like, amazing like, parent hack, where it's like, just don't explain it. Let them figure it out. Is what they were saying is, man, if you, just, if you stay fixated on this, and this is the thing you're always about, and I engage with you and kind of tell you it's okay to be that worked up about it, this is going to stunt your growth. This is an unhealthy fixation. And you're not going to reach adulthood. You're not going to reach your full potential if you stay here or you just run away from it and you go to somewhere that you think is more fair and just and right. One of the hardest things for us as we seek unity is to stay in places where people are so different from us that we're always fixated on either what we do have and the truth that they need to hear or what we don't have and how people are so different from us and how we need what they got. And the fact that when we come to God, he just keeps saying, get over it, get over it, get over it. But what he's telling you is this is an unhealthy fixation and what you need to be focused on and what you need to remember and what you need to know is that he has given you people that are so very different from you. Not to challenge you. Well, it is to challenge you, I guess. Not just so you can pray for them and learn how to pray for people better. But so that he can grow you and your potential to love as he has loved you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're reminded that you, you tell us that you are the good father. You are our Father, you are our Heavenly Father, you are perfect. You, you know what we need, you know who we are, you know the things we struggle with, you, you, you know what we're good at. You know exactly how you have designed us, you know us better than we know ourselves. But Lord, it is, um, I admit, it is difficult to trust you. Um, I admit that there is that inclination in me to want to take control. Um, to want to do both of these things at the same time, to focus on what I don't have and to focus on what I do, of what people need to hear, of how they need to be corrected, while at the same time wishing I could just do it all on my own. But if you, if you gave us what we desired most, oftentimes, we would end up being cold and heartless, detached, and we would be people who wouldn't know how to love. Who wouldn't know what it means to lay down what we could claim for ourselves and appeal to the rights that we know we have, think we have, for the sake of others. 
the very thing that you tell us that Jesus did on our behalf. So Lord, I, I pray that as we come together, as we come to your table, as we come to take communion this morning together, as we've been talking about unity, that you would just show us, show us a, a beautiful, the, the beauty of the mosaic that you have put together that is your body, that is the church, and, and give us a newfound, not just respect, but appreciation for the fact that there are people here that are different than us. And that because of that, it is constantly drawing us back to the main thing that is Jesus Christ. That as we seek to love one another, as we seek to maintain the unity that you have given us, we know and we are reminded day after day, time after time, that it is not by our own power, it is not by our own strength, but it is all because of you. And so because of that, we can stay focused on who you are and what you have done and not get dragged down into all the other stuff we so often do. Father, would you keep our eyes focused on you? And through that, would the Holy Spirit keep enlarging our hearts to love as we have been loved? It's in your name we pray. Amen.